This Fab FM podcast is proudly brought to you by Bendigo Bank, Port Douglas and Mossman. Offering a full range of competitive banking products and technology you'd expect from a big bank with the personal service and care you'd expect from us. Bendigo Bank, the better big bank. Michael Kerr, grant funding $49,227, Regional Arts Development Fund. Well, it certainly does some great things for arts around the Shire. People can look around and see other projects that have been done and the type of work that it's very professionally done. And the applicants that applied, there was 12 groups or individuals within it, and they've got some fantastic projects which will come out shortly and people will see you know, them at work and doing things in our community, which you know, that's what the RADF's always about. So it's funded by both state and local so it's a mixture to get the total amount of $50,000 there and yeah it's been distributed to the people that we could distribute it to which is great. Zigzag Road and Cape Tribulation Bloomfield Road Pavement and Culvert upgrade uh, urgently needed? Well it's more works that have to be required because it's quite dangerous and slippy up there and these works will again make it more accessible so people can get through there even after heavy rain events. Mowbray Road 349, you deferred that. What's that about? Well, it's a subdivision there. They want to break it into two lots and there's some questions that were asked and we just thought that it's better to do this one at a workshop and we can get the facts before we make a decision that could be the wrong decision. So we've got to make the right decisions and we need more information. Change of use for a limited function facility, 5146 Captain Cook Highway. Some of the councillors were concerned that uh, if there's any breaches... Council does act. Absolutely. I think it's important that you know, we make these decisions and we make them right. And with this particular property, you know, there could be noise complaints. There are neighbours close by, but you know, we are desperate for wedding facilities and that's something that this one is offering, a boutique-style wedding facility. And as long as they stick to the rules that have been put in place, you know, there's lots of conditions that were made by the staff. The, the residents should be fine that are situated around them. You know, if they breach those conditions, then we will be coming down hard on them. So the residents around them need to be assured that we will be monitoring it. Permanent closure road adjoining Lot 1 Stewart Street, Daintree. That's the big barrow, isn't it? It certainly is. And like you know, Councillor McEwen said at the meeting, there's lots of properties up there that you know, have moved over the years when there wasn't such, such strict regulations. And this particular building has got its veranda that's actually within road reserve. You know, so to fix that, we just need to put this through to allow them to do work on their um, veranda area and it does become their usage area. But you know, it's very important that Council you know is covered for liabilities if someone happens to trip or fall of course insurance they'd look at it straight away well that's council land so we have to be assured that we're protected and that's what that motion was all about now we go to um, the permanent road closure lot to esplanade port douglas's highly controversial development and we've discussed it in in depth you and i and uh, and others but now we discover that there are water infrastructure problems there please explain so what the staff have come forward and said, of course, the main tank is up on Murphy's, Murphy Street Hill, up on the hill, the Flagstaff Hill. And to get water down to that area, because it's becoming busier with all those hotels that are there, infrastructure is going to have piping is going to have to be put through. And of course, that goes through road reserves. So staff are concerned if we lose that road reserve, we're going to lose the possibility of being able to put that future infrastructure in down that road area. So they've put through that they don't wish for the um, 
sale of the land from the state government to this private developer, they'd prefer that it stays with the state government so they can use it for infrastructure. And this is, as I said in the meeting, is the normal process. You know, the developer has a right to put a Form C in. And what council his job is to say, okay, he's putting a Form C in, we've approved it to go to the state government, so it opens it up for discussion, and that gives us the opportunity to then put in objections, the same as anyone else can put an objection in. And that is the correct process to follow. You know, and that is all I've been asking for the whole time, is you know, when people come to Douglas Shire, they want to do developments, we need to follow a strict legal procedure that is in place and give everyone their fair chance and their fair go before jumping to conclusions and you know making decisions that may not be in the best interests. And you know, this is the proper procedure working forward. You know, and I know there was concerns that you know some of the people from Protect Our Paradise didn't think that staff were doing the right thing and they weren't they didn't have confidence in staff or the procedure. And this just shows that the procedure does work. And if they give council their due respect these guys are professional staff members you know let them do their job and you know the right outcomes do come through pardon the pun but is this development now dead in the water well I, I, as far as i know i did read something on newsport that he was looking at changing the development i haven't heard anything yet i said we don't get involved with planning you know until it, the planners bring it to us so what his planners and our planners have done i'm not quite sure at this point he had was in discussions and he was looking at changing his building so I'm hoping he does he's a great developer you know he comes up with some great ideas and let's find something that's suitable for this region and let him get some development happening in the Shire. Douglas Shire Economic Development Strategy 2021 to 24. Councillor Zamataro was concerned about RV recreational vehicles uh, us becoming a, a friendly Shire for that but aren't we already a, a friendly Shire for RVs? Well we do have an RV policy in place and this is just sticking it into stone basically and saying that we are RV friendly and we are going to look at different things that we can do to make us more RV friendly. Now if that's going to be an RV park then of course that will come back to councils but this at least allows us to do RV friendly items like the the dump pits and things like that around the Shire to ensure that we've got facilities that RV users want and need. Councillor Nolly says, uh, you know, not all that happy about focusing on older people coming to the Shire, but focus more on younger people. Um, that's an interesting comment because the grey nomads are a huge market and they spend and uh, fill our caravan parks. Absolutely. And it's not just in that particular part. By introducing young people and getting more young people here, that we don't have the jobs and we don't have the jobs that pay money for them. And that's the big issue. Hospitality is usually part time or casual. Yeah, that's not paying a wage to send two kids to school and feed them, roof them, all the rest of it. And we are quite expensive place to live it is Douglas is an expensive place to be so by encouraging an older group that aren't necessarily after that big wage because you know they're self-funded or they're they're semi-retired all those sorts of things that allows them to come here but they still want services they want doctors they want to go out for meals they want to do all things and that creates more jobs for the younger people below and that's you know we've got to create those jobs first to get those young ones here and by doing this philosophy of getting older ones to come here creating those jobs by their needs that's what's that's how we believe we're going to get there you mentioned the nbn speeds need to be up to speed so to speak uh, particularly for film companies because the internet has not always been our greatest strength 
Absolutely. In, in Douglas, it's always been you know, a headache, especially when we had ADSL. But one great thing is the MBN has released in Port Douglas their business packages at city prices. So if you have got one of the big hotels, you can get NBN cable direct to your property and you can get it for the same price as people in the cities get. And that's really important. That's something that's come through all these types of works that, you know, we need to have good internet connectivity in this region for these businesses. You know, and as I used for the example, you know, Netflix was a great one. I stood there and I watched them filming a scene. They sent that scene directly through to their editing department via the internet. You know, and that's HD quality. It's high quality stuff, so it needs lots of bandwidth. Um, the editors looked at it, see what they could do with it. Yep, that works. Okay, that scene's done. If it didn't work, they said, okay, do it again. And they refilmed it and then sent it again to them. So for these new digital era you know of filmmakers they need that high speed internet so if we're going to continue to get them here we've got to make sure we've got those facilities and that's where that group that um the councillor abigail brought the questions about you know it's a digital connectivity type group to see what infrastructure we need and make sure councillors are online when they're you know advocating to state and to other bodies that to make sure that these are the things we need and we're asking for the correct things Grand Fondo Festival. Before we get talking about how much you're giving to them, uh, just give us an outline of what the Grand Fondo is about. Well, the Grand Fondo is going to be a bike race, or it's a fun day as well. So, you know, whilst it's a race, it's also open to non-competitors. So if you're good riders, you'll have the opportunity to ride Captain Cook Highway, which, you know, a lot of people would like to do safely. You know, it is only a half-day closure. It's not a full-day closure like the uh, Ironman is. And, you know, it's going to be based here in Port Douglas so the start and the finish line will be here in Port Douglas and therefore you know we're going to get the revenues from this one it's going to be a fun day they've got lots of different activities as well there's going to be races up and down Wharf Street you know sprints and those sorts of things um, and it's going to be a really good revenue maker for Port Douglas and I think that's really important you know that we absolutely want them here in Port Douglas to spend their money in Port Douglas stay in Port Douglas do it in Douglas so 50,000 first year second year third year 50,000 each year so that's a commitment that council has made. Of course, they're getting funding from other bodies as well, but to absolutely ensure that they have a good chance of getting these other fundings from the different bodies, you know, we're showing we're committed to it and you know, we really want this event to succeed. And the supply register uh, people who are on that list, I take it the Norris family are off the list at the end of the financial year? They certainly will be. That's his one that's an individual supplier, like all the others. That It's a list of people that have been pre-approved as individual suppliers so that council doesn't have to go through a long process for a simple job. You know, as the finance officer said, it's you know updated quite regularly and we're not bound by that. We can always go out to a tender if need be if it's a big job. Conflict of interest for staff came up. Now, who instigated this? This is an interesting one because if you guys have a conflict of interest, you simply leave the room when a vote is taking place. How do we find out if a staff member has a conflict of interest? Okay, well, this is something that's come through, of course, through all the Belcara stuff. It's state government driven. It's really important that we have policies in place for this. Whilst it's always been something that's been here and if a staff member does have a you know conflict of interest with something that's being worked on or discussed they would normally say so and you know they wouldn't be partake in it. But, but you didn't have a, an official policy. It wasn't an official policy yeah. which this now does. So now we absolutely in black and white know this is what you can do, this is what you can't do, this is how you treat any um, different type of thing that you have if you think you may have a conflict of interest. So again, it protects everyone, you know, to make sure they're all doing on both sides so that 
the staff are doing the right thing, the managers are doing the right thing, and everyone knows exactly what's happening and how to deal with the situation. The CEO's report, interesting that something came out of that, that you guys are just like us, hard to find tradies. Absolutely. You know, it is getting harder and harder. People are busy. You know, there's lots of work going on and, you know, council, like everyone else, has to go out and look for people to do these jobs. And if they're not available or they're too busy, we have to wait the same as everyone else does. And so that's something that has come through. And, you know, we're hoping that as we go through, these things will get done. But, you know, as I said, we have to wait like everyone else does. And finally, Lisa Scomazon, the Deputy Mayor, put forward a motion to investigate the handling of the Daintree Ferry contract. As we know, council were over a barrel. You paid $4.5 million of ratepayer money, basically, and the Deputy Mayor wants an investigation. You seconded that? Absolutely. I think this is really important. There's been lots of slanderous, incorrect and wrong innuendos out there about everything that's gone on. And I think it's really important for not only the staff and the CEO, you know, but for the public to know exactly what's happened. And this needs to be a documented thing. You know, we should be, you know, never, ever in this position again. I would like a probity audit to be done of the whole very debacle that we've been through so we're looking at um, going back to 2018 from the very first tender that was submitted for the ferry and I want it to be investigated right through and just to see if everything has been done properly um, to ensure that the council has done their um, jobs correctly and the contract the tender process the whole lot I have some great concerns on how things have been handled and I'd like all this to come out in the appropriate audit. Well, of course, it ended up $4.5 million, and, and as I understand, uh, it was requested more money before that, close to $5 million. So it's a lot of money for ratepayers, and you're saying that you want it all out on the table, how it started, what was going on with the cogs and the wheels within. Yep, the whole lot. You know, I was never happy about having to pay the $4.5 million, but unfortunately that was what was presented to us, and we pretty much didn't have a choice on saying no to that otherwise we would not have had a ferry in the water at 1st of July so I want everything on the table I want to see um, if everything's been covered and I have some great concerns and questions that I'd like to put um, to the um, probity auditor because I need them um, those those answers because I cannot find those answers anywhere in all the reports that I have read so I want to be able to be as a counsellor feel um, that that the community can feel that they are happy with what has happened through this process and and they're under for them to be able to understand why we had to pay that 4.5 million for the ferry and so I want everything on the table and I want the, uh, the probity auditor to be independent and let them have their say and let them look at everything that's happened and report back to us. Because look, uh, this is just, it just put council over a barrel with this, so you just need to find out what the hell went on. Yeah, that's what we need to do. We need to find out what actually happened. And as a councillor, that's what I want, uh, is open and transparency for the Shire. Last thing you want is smoke and mirrors. That's it, and, um, and that's why we need to go down this track. I really want you know this factual information to be available to the public so they can see the whole process from start to finish so they've got a clear, correct picture of the whole transaction rather than just reading it on social media and it's just wrong. This will be truly independent? 
truly independent. So as we've said in the meeting, we will actually use our um, auditor to find a probity auditor. So it's completely at arm's length from any of the staff here. Of course, as the CEO said, he, he has to sign the check at the end of the day. So he has to partake in that part. But the choosing of the probity order will be done by the chair of our auditing group. We want it from just prior to the two ferry contract being signed right through. Well, wow, that's a big one. Absolutely. Yeah, it's really important because, yeah, there's lots of um, concern out there. And, you know, you've read it quite often. Why didn't the CEO sign the contract? There wasn't a contract to sign. It's that simple. And this sort of detail needs to come out, you know, so that it shows the people that, you know, the council staff did the right thing. Councillors have done the right thing and they can be comfortable with the decisions that we've made. Mayor Michael Kerr, thank you. Thank you.